the narcissist's primary addiction, they might have other addictions, porn, gambling, shopping, any of that. But the narcissist's primary addiction is absolutely invisible. It's absolutely invisible. You can't see it. You don't know it that they have this addiction. You don't understand what's going on. That invisible addiction that they have is called narcissistic supply. It's also called fuel by H.G. Tudor. He declares himself a narcissistic sociopath. He says that fuel drives everything we do. He said, there was never love for you, only for your fuel. So it's really important to understand that when you're trying to understand, you're asking yourself, well, why does he or she do this? Why does he or she say that? Why does he or she do this? This is why. It's because they want the narcissistic supply. They want that feel from you. I'm Meredith Miller, and this is the Inner Integration Podcast, where you can learn the mindsets and tools to help you heal after narcissistic abuse. Narcissistic supply is a term coined by Otto Fenichel in 1938 for the psychoanalytic theory. It's described as a type of admiration, interpersonal support, or sustenance drawn by an individual from his or her environment that is essential to their self-esteem. Narcissistic supply is what the self-declared elite narcissistic sociopath H.G. Tudor calls fuel. He describes it as the holy grail of our reason for being here and the core to our existence. Fuel is vital to the survival of a narcissist, psychopath, or sociopath. They have an insatiable desire to receive this form of emotional currency. They cannot live without it. Do you remember a time in one or more of the abusive relationships you've been in where things were going seemingly great and then suddenly everything took a sharp left turn? From then on, something changed and things were never the same. That was the moment the devaluation part of the abuse cycle officially began. The devaluation starts when you set a boundary, as simple as saying no and denying them the supply they were trying to extract from you. Or maybe you showed too much independence or individuation, so you were devalued in order for the narcissist to remind you where your place is. You didn't do anything wrong in any of those cases. In fact, Great job for setting the boundary or being independent or authentic to yourself. I hear so many clients regret that moment, beating themselves up like they did something wrong. That's what the narc wants you to think. What did you do after the devaluation started? Probably you started to fight harder for the relationship, trying to fix the unfixable, trying to become what the narc was demanding or insinuating, that would please them so you could return to the love bombing again. Some clients ask me, what about the new person? What if they're getting treated better by the narcissist for not setting boundaries? Yeah, but keep in mind, that is contingent on the target not taking care of themselves and sacrificing their needs to please the narc. You did nothing wrong by setting a boundary. The only alternative was to stay a doormat, and that was not going to lead you anywhere good. Don't compare yourself to the new supply and don't get caught up in regrets like, if only I didn't say no at that moment or if only I tried harder to prove myself to them. You saved yourself from getting caught in that abuse cycle for a longer time as well as an inevitably longer recovery. It's so predictable how narcissists react when you take away their supply. 
the higher the level of the narcissist, the more covert their punishment will be. You'll get the silent treatment or abuse by proxy. This can be very confusing and exasperating. The mid-range and lower-range narcissists will usually rage at you, and especially the lower range, will become completely unhinged when you take away their supply. This can be terrifying and also dangerous to your health, sanity, and well-being, not to mention your peace. This is what people go through when they leave the narcissist before the discard. All hell breaks loose in what H.G. Tudor refers to as fury. The lower the range of narcissists, the more hot their fury is, like overt aggression, violence, overt physical or verbal abuse. The higher range the narcissist, the more cold and sophisticated their fury is, like the silent treatment, ignoring you, covert aggression, and using other people to abuse you while they look clean. The higher the status of the target, the higher the value of their supply. This is because the narcissist sees the target as an extension of themselves. So the higher your status, the more self-elevation the narcissist perceives through association with you. During the idealization phase, they will model their image after yours and imitate you in an effort to associate themselves with your status or accomplishments or simply the knowledge that you have. This is what I refer to as identity theft because after you break up, they will go on pretending like they have those qualities or interests or that knowledge of yours, but it's just the mask that they use to seduce the next one. The more the narcissist admired you or your accomplishments and what you brought, maybe even your status in society, the more you need to be prepared to be stalked and hoovered up to years after leaving the abuser. In the book Psychopath Free, Jackson McKenzie writes about the short-term supply and the long-term supply for the narcissist. They will decide if they want to run the long con with you or whether you are just a temporary supply to fill a void that someone more important to them has left by setting boundaries, going no contact, becoming more independent, or otherwise denying their precious supply. This explains how some people have a long, intense love bombing phase early on in the relationship and other people didn't get much love bombing. The narcissist will invest much more in securing a target for the long haul than one for a short period of time. The more compliant a person is, the longer the love bombing can last because they're not challenging and questioning the narcissist. Narcissistic supply is vital to their self-esteem. Without it, they start acting like a vampire without fresh blood supply, desperate and unhinged. The term emotional vampires is an uncanny description for these people because they suck on the energetic life force of people through manipulating, fabricating, and extracting their emotions. The craziest thing is that they can even get this feel when they aren't there to see your reaction to something they did or said. They have already learned by doing this to everyone in their life that people have a fairly predictable reaction to flattery and signs of disapproval or disdain. Fuel for the narcissist can be positive or negative. During the love bombing phase or when they intermittently use idealization throughout the relationship, they're extracting your positive supply in the form of admiration, praise, love, affection, attention, etc. 
during the devaluation phase or when they intermittently use devaluation during the relationship, they're attempting to extract negative supply from you in the form of your anger, upset, jealousy, confusion, etc. Most people feel a bit down when someone has a negative reaction to us. However, the only thing the narcissist takes from that conversation is the emotion they were able to provoke from you and a sense of importance because they must be important if you're reacting so strongly. This is why it's no use expressing how upset you are to a narcissist. It's never going to encourage them to change their ways or reflect on their behavior or even be sorry how they hurt you. It's simply going to feed them and make them stronger. H.G. Tudor also describes three levels of supply for the narcissist, primary, secondary, and tertiary. The primary supply source is often an intimate partner, but it could also be a family member. This kind of intimate partner is the long-term supply variety that I mentioned earlier, involving a long and intense love-bombing phase. This is the person the narc often marries or commits to formally, because this person gives them narcissistic supply in the form of being an exemplary figure in society. Could be a family man or a devoted wife and mother. They will usually only discard this person if the supply source directly calls out the narcissist for who they are. Or puts their foot down so hard the narcissistic supply stops. This person will receive the worst wrath of the narcissist should they decide to leave or ask the narc for a divorce. The narcissist might initially run away to the secondary supply intimate partner but this is only a punishment, and they will take time to come up with a revenge plan for you for ruining their perfect public image. Be prepared to be smeared the worst if this was you. This primary supply will also usually be the one hoovered the most and the longest, especially by proxy through the children if you have them together. The secondary source could be an intimate partner, in which case it's the short-term or temporary supply that I mentioned earlier. With a shorter love bombing period and usually no commitment, Tudor says this person usually starts off in a non-intimate position, like a friend, neighbor, or coworker. You can pretty much guarantee you are a secondary supply source if you would describe that you were in a situationship rather than a relationship. Kind of like you were together, but you really weren't together because they didn't make anything official and they likely even avoided that topic or had excuses for why they couldn't be official with you. It's also possible you found yourself devastated when you found out how quickly they moved on and maybe even committed officially to another person after never offering that commitment to you. The secondary source intimate partner was just filling a temporary void for fuel. The secondary source could also be a friend, a family member, or a close coworker. They could also be the children of the narcissist. When the kids wake up as adults and go no contact, it often doesn't matter in terms of fuel for the narcissist, since they will have already usually been grooming a replacement daughter or son, and often this could be your cousin or people who married one of your cousins. The tertiary sources of supply are usually casual relationships friendships, and people at work or in public places. These people are the least likely to figure out who the narcissist is and the most likely to be the clueless variety of flying monkeys or the enabling kind of flying monkeys who enjoy some kind of status, convenience, or resource that the narcissist offers them. 
The lower range narcissists don't have what Tudor refers to as a complex field matrix, so they don't have tertiary supply sources. This means they are more likely to run out of supply and go nuclear. When tertiary sources of supply wake up and opt out, it usually doesn't matter so much to the narcissist since there are so many others in the holding room and much more reliable sources of supply in place. This person is the least likely to face a massive smear campaign unless they go all out in public against the narcissist. Some people ask me, do narcissists seek the same kinds of supply from various intimate partners? Yes and no. They're seeking to provoke the same positive and negative emotions in their targets. However, the way they go about it will be different. Maybe even the polar opposite and tailored specifically to each person's insecurities, vulnerabilities, and needs. For example, maybe you're really fit and the narc had an insatiable sexual drive with you to the point that it was overly aggressive and way too much. When you said no, they pushed and forced you into it, or they would take the more covert way of, I'm sorry, I just can't help it, you're just so hot, your ass just looks so good. This is not an apology or a compliment, by the way. This is a rationalization of the abuse. They exhausted you sexually to the point where you weren't even excited about it anymore, but you often went through the motions just to avoid their rage and blame. You also had a history of sexual abuse, and maybe you didn't know that you had the right to stand by the boundary of no, even if you're married. But maybe you had the opportunity to talk with another ex of the same narcissist after you broke up. And the ex tells you that the narc always shamed them for being overweight, withheld sex, told them that they weren't attracted to them, and made overt or indirect comments letting them know that if only they lost weight, then the narc would be more interested. This person was probably also triangulated a lot with the narc liking and commenting on Instagram models or friends' photos or making frequent comments about so-and-so who's so hot and clearly not the same body type. So essentially, both targets got abused. Both were used to extract narcissistic supply, but they both received very different treatment that was meticulously designed to match each person's insecurities, needs, and vulnerabilities. Narcissistic supply is one of the most important concepts to understand why the narcissist does what they do. Understanding this concept and how to maintain your power and dignity is so key for you to be able to move on, to stop taking the abuse, to go fully no contact, to stop seeking closure, and to start working on your healing process. Stay tuned for the best clips from my YouTube channel on narcissistic supply and how not to give your power away. Are all narcissists or psychopaths, sociopaths, etc., are they all addicts? My answer is yes, 100%. Now, before you jump to conclusions here, I just want to clarify, this doesn't necessarily mean the addiction that comes in a bottle, in a pill, in a needle, or get snorted up their nose. The narcissist's primary addiction, they might have other addictions, porn, gambling, shopping, any of that. But the narcissist's primary addiction is absolutely invisible. It's absolutely invisible. You can't see it. You don't know it that they have this addiction. You don't understand what's going on. 
that invisible addiction that they have is called narcissistic supply. It's also called Fuel by H.G. Tudor. I don't know if you've seen any of his videos or his website. He declares himself a narcissistic sociopath and he puts out a lot of really valuable information coming from a person who does this. And he says that Fuel drives everything we do. He said, there was never love for you, only for your fuel. So it's really important to understand that when you're trying to understand, you're asking yourself, well, why does he or she do this? Why does he or she say that? Why does he or she do this? This is why. It's because they want the narcissistic supply. They want that feel from you. There's two different kinds of feel. There's the inanimate feel, which is like status symbols, their job title, like CEO or something, could be driving a Ferrari, whatever kind of car that they're driving, some kind of gadgets that they have, inanimate objects that give them a sense of status or fame, that sort of thing. Then there's the animate form of narcissistic supply. And that's what this video is going to focus on because that involves the people, that involves you. If you found yourself entangled one of these people, you found yourself as a supply source for a narcissist, a psychopath, a sociopath. So what does that look like? Well, it, essentially what that is, is emotional energy. It's your emotional energy. It can be positive, it can be negative, but predominantly what they want is flattery, praise, adoration, attention. Bottom line is attention. But again, that attention can be positive or negative. It feels them just the same. You know, if somebody said something really nasty to you, you might be really hurt. You might be upset. You might want nothing to do with that person. But that's why the narcissist will hang out there and pretend that they're so hurt by what you did, but they still want to keep engaging you and they still want that supply from you. They love to manufacture those negative emotions like jealousy, anger, upset, devastation. They love that. It fuels them. It makes them feel important. So the most important thing to understand here is that this is why they do everything they do. This is what drives their behavior. Everything. So that thing that you're trying to still figure out, like, why did they do that? Why would they say that? This is why. So if you look back at that now, can you see that in a different light? Can you see how somehow they were trying to get supply from you? So another important thing to recognize is that the narcissist is utterly, hopelessly, dependent on fuel, on narcissistic supply. They cannot live without it. They have this insatiable need to fill that void in their soul because they have this incredibly fragile ego, deep sense of insecurity, very low sense of self-esteem, even though they may present themselves, especially the overt types will present themselves as having a high sense of self-esteem. The covert types will put on that false image by talking about how cool they are, how awesome they are, how smart they are, how cool they are in some kind of way. But all that's a facade, like deep down, they have a deep, deep sense of insecurity. So this narcissistic supply, this fuel is like an invisible currency. It's an invisible currency, just like the abuse is invisible. So is this narcissistic supply that they're seeking out. And that's why it's so hard to figure out what it is because you just can't see it. An important thing to recognize is that when the supply dwindles, when you stop giving them supply, they start doing some hurtful things. So you start giving them less positive attention. Maybe you start withdrawing more. That's when the devaluation will start. Maybe you set a new boundary. You're like, okay, well, I'm not going to keep giving and giving in that way when this person is not reciprocating. You're going to set that new boundary, that's when the devaluation really starts. That's when you really start to see that person's true colors. And keep in mind that narcissists have sometimes a very complex 
fuel matrix, as H.G. Tudor calls it, meaning the multiple myriad of people involved that you don't even know about most of the time that they can get supply from. And he calls those primary, secondary, and even tertiary sources of supply. He has a scale, the lesser narcissist, not so smart, not as charming, resorts more to violence and aggression because they just don't have the charm and the smarts. And there's the mid-range narcissist and there's the greater narcissist. H.G. Tudor considers himself a greater narcissist. That's the most covert. That's the most intelligent. That's the kind that's very meticulous at getting what they want and they know who they are. They know very well who they are. The lesser narcissist generally has no clue who they are. And so the higher level narcissist, he says, the more complex this fuel matrix is, meaning the more people involved. He talks about how often narcissists will have their primary supply source as an intimate partner. Secondary supply source can be family members, friends, etc. Tertiary might be colleagues or even random people. Like they go to Starbucks in the morning and they get their coffee and they see that barista and they know they can charm him or her and then they'll get a little bit of supply from that, that sort of thing. Or maybe very distant family members, very distant friends would be like on the tertiary ink. But the thing is that they always have this supply source. They have to have that there because if you stop giving supply, they need that next person to go to or the next person and the next person. And that's why they'll often talk about the narcissist will send out the same text message or a very similar text message to a whole bunch of people at once. And they're just waiting for the first bite, like the first person to take the bait. Boom, they got their supply. Now they're getting that energy. They're draining that energy and emotional support from someone else once you stop giving it. So that's always what's going to happen. And they're going to control those supply sources, which are people. They're going to control those people, which they see as an extension of their own ego to serve their needs until that person becomes uncontrollable and leaves. So this explains why a parent, a mother or father who's a narcissist, psychopath, sociopath, this explains why that narc parent can create a codependent child. They don't always create codependent children. Often they'll create another narcissist, another psychopath, if they don't give that person, that child, any boundaries and that child ends up taking the survival strategy by copying the abusive parent versus taking the codependent strategy, which is the people-pleasing strategy, which is sacrificing one's own needs in order to make sure the other person is okay. Like that's the bottom line of, of codependency is people-pleasing. It's putting someone else's needs before your own. This explains why a narcissistic parent can create a codependent child just like an alcoholic or an addict parent. The alcoholic and the addict parent had an obvious addiction. It was a bottle or a pill or a needle or something like that. It was a lot easier to see. The narcissist parent also had an addiction and their addiction to narcissistic supply took precedence over you. If you grew up in a, in a household like that, your parent prioritized their need for supply over your needs, your feelings, your thoughts, your perceptions of reality, you in general. That always took precedence. So the good news is that you can heal because the codependent will develop almost like an addiction to approval and validation because you never got it as a kid and you had to work to get it in order to get love from that parent in order to survive. The good news is that if you find yourself on that side of things, you can heal yourself. You can start to turn that inward, start to give yourself the approval and the validation that you need so that you stop looking to other people for that, so that you stop getting entwined with narcissists and other manipulators who are looking for that. They're looking for someone who's going to place their sense of approval in them and that's how they pull you in. First by seducing and flattering you and then by degrading 
diminishing you and devaluing you. The narcissist is not going to change. So you've probably heard the phrase like, don't feed the monsters. I've said that before. Or you might see online people write like, don't feed the trolls. You know, the people who go online and they want to like type nasty stuff. Don't answer that. Don't respond to that. Don't feed that. Meaning don't give them narcissistic supply. Because whether you give them positive or negative attention, you're going to fuel them. You're going to feed them. You're going to make them stronger. Fair warning though. As soon as you take away that narcissistic supply, they are going to get pissed. If you take that supply away before they're done with you, they want to discard you on their terms because they want the total control. If you step out, you realize what's going on, you set a boundary, you step out, they're going to get really, really pissed, angry, maybe even really aggressive and violent. Get out of there. Run as soon as possible. As soon as you see that, if you see that once you stop attention, that person gets really angry, get away. No contact immediately. So the most important ways to avoid giving fuel to people like this, number one, going no contact. Cold turkey, don't explain to them why you're removing yourself from their life. Normally you would do that in a normal situation if you weren't going to, you're just going separate ways with someone and they're not a toxic person, you want to have a conversation or you're breaking up in a regular sort of breakup and you want to have like a face-to-face conversation. None of those rules apply to people like this because they will use that to their advantage. They will use that to plant doubts in your mind, to gaslight you, to try to confuse you, to try to suck you back in, to try to get you to spend all your energy feeding them and supply by defending yourself. Don't do it. Just go cold turkey, shut it off, block them entirely. Another strategy is gray rock. Now that's like if you find yourself with one of these people at work, your boss or your coworker or someone at work, you realize, oh shit, like this is what they're doing. This is the game. If you cut off that supply, like cold, cold turkey, and you try to remove yourself entirely, your job can be in danger. It could get really bad at work. They might launch a whole smear campaign against you. So in that case, you want to be a little bit more gentle. And meanwhile, I would, if I were you, I would be updating your resume, your CV, looking for another job quietly on the side because you're never going to have a good time in that office with that person there. And if they have already targeted you, they're not going to stop targeting you. But the strategy that you can use to manage the situation in the meanwhile is what they call the gray rock technique. And that is essentially removing that emotional energy. So it's being boring, being uninteresting, not really giving them a lot. And in that way, They understand like you're there, but you're not there and you have to be in contact with them, but you're not really feeding them. And so they can't take advantage of you in that way. They can't drain your energy in that way, but you're just having this sort of amicable, stale sort of interaction with them. Again, that gray rock thing though, that's really only a temporary way to manage the situation. You might find yourself having to do this if you're co-parenting with a narcissist, psychopath, or sociopath. Doing that gray rock technique, but otherwise no contact. Only gray rock while you have to talk about the kids and no contact about anything else in your life. Don't share anything else. So essentially the no contact and the gray rock are forms of boundaries. And that's the bottom line is boundaries. Boundaries are what are going to stop you from feeding the narcissist this narcissistic supply. Essentially, that those boundaries are predominantly around your energy and your emotions. Protecting your energy, protecting your emotions. If you saw the video that I did on responding versus reacting, that explains how to do this. That explains how to respond to people without reacting in the emotional way because that emotional reaction is what feeds them. 
That's the bottom line. So I hope this was helpful for you. I hope you're able now to reflect back on your relationship from the past or if you're in it right now on how this played out. And maybe it helps you now to understand, oh, that's why they did that. That's why they said that. The thing that you just couldn't wrap your mind around, it's really that simple. It's some form of narcissistic supply that they were trying to get from you. So protect yourself with boundaries, keep yourself safe, protect your peace, protect your energy. Can the new supply be not necessary a new partner? My ex looks like her new supply is her female cousin who pays her college and gives her shelter. Love from Brazil. I think he's talking about narcissistic supply. So yeah, narcissistic supply can be anyone. It just depends what kind of supply that particular narcissist needs for survival. It sounds like this person, they have a dependence around providing housing, maybe food, cost for going to school and whatnot. It sounds like that's the supply she's looking for. So maybe she was getting this from you. Maybe you were providing that. Maybe she moved in with you. She was living in your place. You were supporting her. You were paying for her. And now she's got her cousin doing that or something like that. It's not unusual that a person will do something like this. It just depends what kind of supply they're looking for. Let's say, for example, it's a different situation. Let's say that the narcissist in question is your mom. Say you reduce contact with her or you cut her off entirely, she will likely go find another family member, preferably someone around your age, to groom into her new supply. And that person probably has something that you don't. They're probably similar to you in some way, like around the same age or something like that. Say you're the daughter, you set new boundaries with the mother. So then the mother goes to another cousin, for example, someone around your age, and maybe you don't have kids. And so maybe your mom then picks one of your cousins who has kids. And now she's grooming this cousin to be sort of like a surrogate daughter. She talks to her a lot. And maybe you were even close to this cousin, which is the sickest part, the wedge, the triangulation. And so now she's cultivating this cousin. And now you notice the cousin is distant from you now. How odd. And the cousin's not a bad person. She's a really good person. It's just that she's caught up in that, doesn't realize she's serving as narcissistic supply for your mom. In the case of like your partner, your ex-partner, it could be that the new supply is a new lover a new love interest or someone totally not romantically involved like in this case it's a cousin who's simply providing for her and, and even if the cousin wasn't providing the home the tuition and all of that it could just be a simple supply she goes out shopping with the cousin and eating out and gossiping and posting photos on social media and just to do that sort of supply like a lot of people get narcissistic supply in that way it's like the image that they're pumping out just going out and about that sort of stuff together spending time together remember narcissists don't like to be alone there is one archetype and archetype there's an archetype of a borderline that's more of the hermit there's an archetype of a narcissist that's more of a hermit too those are sometimes the, the covert narcissists and not all covert narcissists, but certain ones that are like hermits. Like they live alone. They spend most of their time alone. They're very, very, very depressed because the narcissist can't survive without getting supply from people. Maybe they get supply online in some way. Maybe it's just porn or something like that, but they're probably getting more and more depressed because they just need that. They need the supply. They need some some source of energy outside themselves to suck dry because they don't realize that they can tap into that in the universe themselves. They, they've lost that connection. So they have to get it out of people. That's why they objectify people because the people are just a means to an end. The people have the supply. The people have the energetic resources or the physical resources. Your supply could be that the person is using you for money, for a place to live, for food, for tuition, 
for a front just to look good, just to look like the family person or an exemplary figure. There could be so many different things that a person's getting out of you just depending on what their thing is. It could be anybody, it can come in any role. It could be a child, a parent, a friend, a new friend, a new lover, a relative, anyone could take the form of that. So hopefully that answers your question. And what can you do about it? I always like to end my videos on what can you do about it. Really, you just got to let go there and just try not to control that. Let her do whatever she's going to do. Let her cousin choose whatever path her cousin is going to choose. That's not your problem. You can't save either one of them. I don't recommend you get involved in any way, shape, or form. And I don't recommend that you give it a lot of thought because the more thought you're investing there, the more you're just holding yourself back from moving forward. And it's good to recognize what did she use you for? Maybe she used you for the same things or similar things. And it's kind of validating now to see her using someone else. And you're like, well, yeah, she just used me. Sometimes that can be really validating. But at this point, all you can do now is focus on you and take care of you. And what would you do differently next time? Maybe I'm just sensing, maybe you have some regrets, right? We all did. Maybe you have some regrets about giving too much, doing too much for her. So look back at those activities. Look back at those decisions that you made and recognize where you should have drawn the line. Like, where is that line for you? Where do you define that line? How do you draw that line and why? Why would you put that line there? Why would you stop this person from keep going? And if you would have done it differently, where would you have set that line before? Because then that gives you a clue. It's not like you just want to keep regretting having done that, but it's more like noticing that as a breadcrumb. Like, okay, well, that's where the boundary should have been. So if that ever happens again, I'm definitely putting the boundary there, right there and then, instead of waiting that much longer to figure things out. So it's really helpful when you have regrets to look back like that, recognize where you went wrong, where you would have made a different decision, not to beat yourself up, not to punish yourself, not to tell yourself that you're not good enough or feel unworthy, but just so that you can have that awakening and realize if you ever see a similar situation like that, you would make a different choice. That's empowering. That helps you look forward towards the future and have confidence in your sense of competence to set that line, to set the boundary and to say no. Don't give your power away. Don't give your power away to a narcissist or anyone else in your life. You might not even be realizing that you're doing this. So I'm gonna talk about the key to not giving away your power. I'm gonna talk about what it looks like when you are giving away your power. And I'm gonna give you some tips on how to not give away your power. I was talking to a bunch of people. This was the topic that kept coming up over and over again. People didn't identify it as such, but the way they were expressing their struggles, I realized this is something that's really moving through the collective consciousness right now. So I want to address it. Think about a recent time when someone said something or did something to you that was mean, unfair, cruel, or otherwise asshole-ish. Okay, think about this recent experience. How did you feel when they did that? And how did you react or respond to whatever they said or did? And then how did you feel after that? Maybe not in the very moment, but maybe an hour, a day later, how did you feel about how that all went down? Chances are, if you got provoked by somebody, they said or did something, you had some sort of emotional reaction, maybe it felt like momentarily good, but then later you really regretted it. That's typically the process about what happens. And why did you regret it later? Because you gave them the emotional reaction. And in giving them the emotional reaction, you gave away your power. It's that simple. That's how we give our power away, is we allow another person to hijack our emotional state. 
What are some signs that you've given away your power? The very first one is you're rehashing over and over again in your mind the conversation, the interaction, what you said, what you did. It's just like it's constantly in your mind. Like you can't even sleep sometimes because it's just in your mind. Like a lot of energy is going to that. When your thoughts and your emotions are focused on that, you are sending energy in that direction. In essence, you are giving away your power. Maybe what you notice is that you're fighting with them in your mind. You're driving to work or you're taking a shower and it's like in your mind you're fighting with that person. Like you're arguing with them, you're fighting with them, you're justifying yourself. Very common way of giving away your power. All that energy is going to them. When your emotional state gets hijacked, maybe you felt great and that person comes along and they go with whatever nasty thing they did, and then all of a sudden it knocked you off balance. Now you're just feeling icky. You're not feeling good. Like you can't get yourself back to that state. It takes like hours maybe to get yourself back to the emotional state you were in beforehand. When you simply can't focus on anything else, it's like all you can think about is that person or that recent interaction or that one little phrase that they said, which pissed you off. Maybe you notice these gnawing, anxious feelings in your body. Maybe it's like you can't quite articulate it or identify it, but it's just this very uncomfortable, gnawing, anxious feeling. Again, that's a sign that you have given your power away. When you are fantasizing about revenge, Revenge, maybe the idea feels good, maybe in the moment it feels good, but essentially when you take revenge on someone else, you are giving away your power. You're probably gonna regret it later because in some way you're gonna lose your dignity, you're gonna feel like you've stepped out of your own integrity because you wouldn't normally do that kind of thing, but you allowed those emotions to take you over, you did something that you regret. Revenge looks like strength, but it's actually weakness. When you react with negative narcissistic supply. Narcissistic supply can be positive or negative. In the positive way, it's during that idealization when they're flattering you and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, you're so amazing. You're so wonderful. You're the best. You're just so interesting. And then the negative supply is during the devaluation when now they're putting you down, they're provoking you, they're trying to get a rise out of you. And then you react emotionally to that. And you might think, oh, okay, that looked like strength. But in essence, what happened was you fed the beast. You fed the beast the negative narcissistic supply. You gave your power away. You made them stronger. And then you're going to feel weaker after that because you gave your power away through your emotional reaction. Another way that you can really give away your power is feeling like you need to keep defending yourself. When someone says something and it's not right, it's not what you intended, it's not how you feel, it's not what you said, it's not right in some sort of way, and you say, no, that's not what I meant, or that's not what I said, those weren't my words, you're interpreting that in a different way. You know, as soon as you start to like say that, you can say one thing to try to clarify the situation. Actually, what I intended to say was this or that. Or they ask you a question and you give them an answer and they start honing in on you. If you get caught in that loop of self-defense, if you defended it once and you tried to clarify it and they dismissed it again and continue to insist on their way and you keep trying to defend yourself and they keep trying to tell you how you're wrong and you this and that and the other and you're defending and justifying how you feel, how you think, what you said, how you do, you're gonna lose a lot of energy in that. That's one of the biggest tricks that a manipulator will use is to put you on the self-defense. You approach them with an issue that you have with their behavior, they flip it around and they say, you're wearing too much makeup right now or that dress is too revealing or there's some sort of way to put you then on the defense so they've completely flipped the thing around and now you get caught in self-defense you totally forgot what the issue even was you're giving your power away
And the bottom line is you know you've given your power away when you feel like someone's victim. You can even apply this politically. When you feel like the victim of a politician or a situation, you have given your power away. You're not strong that way. When you feel like you're the victim, there's no strength there. You've given the power away. So the key here to maintaining your power and to take your power back is self-control. Self-control is the key to taking back your power. What does that mean exactly? Self-control is ultimately about emotional neutrality. Remember that phrase, emotional neutrality. What does that mean? That means that you don't give them that emotional reaction. It means they try to provoke and get that rise out of you and you simply don't give it to them. You might have seen my video called five ways to disarm the narcissist. Maybe it's best that you're no contact with the narcissist in your life, but maybe you have to deal with one like at work or at your building or it's some family member that you can't get away from yet or it's a co-parent. You got to co-parent your kids for the next how many every years and so you have to deal with them in some sort of way those five ways of disarming them are essentially these tactics about emotional neutrality it's about responding in ways that has zero emotion and it will piss them off they'll be so upset you can even read the comments on there and you can see who the manipulators are because they're really upset <laughs> about those phrases they don't like them they call them passive aggressive and they're not they're simply emotional neutrality and that's really the essence of the gray rock technique. I'm sure you've heard of that by now, the gray rock technique when you have to deal with some sort of manipulative person on an ongoing basis. It's about no emotion. It's about not giving them that rise. And you'll see eventually it works. Like first it pisses them off and then eventually they disengage because it's not fun for them. People will try to provoke you and to knock you off balance because maybe they feel insignificant or powerless in their own life. So they turn to you and they try to provoke you to get that rise out of you so that it gives them some sense of power. At some level, they know that if they can knock you off balance, they own you. And they will not stop trying to keep doing that, trying to keep getting that emotional reaction from you, trying to get you to lose self-control so that they get your power. It doesn't work if you don't give them what they want. So stop, disengage, and approach with emotional neutrality if you have to be in contact with them. So how do you maintain self-control? How do you maintain that emotional neutrality when people are behaving like assholes? It's a hard thing to do. It's really hard. It's like you're just going to want to react to that emotionally. You got to get that self-control and remind yourself that you don't want to give away your power. Recognize that this is entirely your choice. Your response is your choice. Your response is your responsibility. If you haven't seen my video yet on reacting versus responding, it's on the front page of my YouTube channel. Check it out because it goes into depth on that. Another thing you can do is to walk away. Opt out. You try to have a normal conversation with this person. They're refusing to listen to you. They're continually trying to provoke you. Walk away, opt out disengage. You don't have to deal with that. Give them nothing. Starve them of that negative emotional supply, that negative narcissistic supply. Validate your feelings. 
because it's really easy to get really confused when someone else approaches you with this overconfidence that they know that they're right, even though you know that they're wrong. But then you start to doubt yourself, validate your feelings. If you need a reality check, go talk to your best friend, go talk to that person that you always run things by each other when things are going on and get their validation. Get them to look at that and like, what do you think of that? and see what they say. And if they're like, no, that person is totally off, then you're validating your own feelings about that experience. So, okay, you're off the hook. Now you don't need to go around and around trying to get that other person to validate your feelings. Don't look to them for that. Remind yourself that you don't wanna play their game in order to maintain your dignity and integrity. If you stoop to their level and you respond with hurtful words or hurtful actions that are the exact same things they did to you, it doesn't make you more right. It just means both of you are wrong. It's that whole, who is it? George Bernard Shaw, I think, who wrote about the pigs. Don't wrestle with a pig because you're gonna get dirty and the pig's gonna enjoy it. That's exactly what happens in these situations. Remember, this is the only way to beat the narcissist is to not let them make you give up your self-control. Don't let them do that. It's your choice. It's your control. It's the only thing you have control over in this situation. You can't make them stop saying and believing and doing what they do. You can only, only take responsibility for your response. So here's my challenge question to you. What is one situation in your life where you need to take greater self-control today in order to take your power back? What is that situation? How can you do that? How can you take your power back through new ways of using emotional neutrality and then do it? And ask yourself, how do you want to feel? You're hanging out with somebody and you don't feel so good around them. That's not really their responsibility. They might be an asshole. I'm not saying they're not an asshole. But what I'm saying is it's your responsibility. If you don't like the way you feel, get away from that person. Stop hanging out with that person. And if you have to deal with this person on an ongoing basis, co-parent, etc., how can you help yourself feel good and feel strong in that situation? How can you reach a new level of emotional neutrality towards that person that they don't knock you off balance like that? Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Inner Integration Podcast. I hope you learned something today that helps you see from a new perspective so you can take new action and transform your life after narcissistic abuse. Remember, you are enough, you matter, and you got this. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to get automatic updates on new podcast episodes as they're released. Visit us online at www.innerintegration.com where you'll get a free three-part video course when you enter your name and email on the homepage. Get loads of more free content to help you heal after narcissistic abuse on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Big hug to you.